Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. Before I read that, please pray with me. God of peace, through your spirit instruct us by the light of your prophets. Illumine our hearts that we may hear your call to become your path into the world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophet from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. As many of you know, we are in the thick of parenting in the Whitley household. Thomas and I have an almost three-year-old and a seven-month-old. And so when I do find the rare occasion to sit down and read, if it's not Curious George or Dr. Seuss, it's usually a parenting guide. Something ranging from how to introduce solids to your child or about how to discipline a strong-willed two-year-old. I keep reading that one over and over again. The one thing, thankfully, that I do not have to read about these days is how to help your child sleep. Knock on wood, the Whitley boys are good sleepers. From the time that our firstborn was about two months old, we have had the same routine. Bath, book, song, prayer, bed. It doesn't matter if it's me, his dad, a babysitter, or some sweet surrogate grandparents from our church family. If you follow that routine, our boys will go to bed just like they're supposed to. As someone who grew up in a family that loves to sing, I think my favorite part of that routine has always been our bedtime song. Certainly, I've used those childhood classics, things like Jesus Loves Me or He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, but I also enjoy singing from time to time whatever's on my mind or heart that day. Around the time that Davis turned two, 
he began joining me in singing the bedtime song. It was so precious the first time I heard him sing, Jesus loves me, or he's got the whole world in his hands. And so finally, one evening around July of this year, I decided to ask Davis if he wanted to choose the song we would sing, assuming that he would choose something we sang on a regular basis. Instead, he chose Jingle Bells. I didn't even know he actually knew Jingle Bells, but instead of squelching his enthusiasm, I went with it, thinking tomorrow night he'll choose something different. Well, I thought wrong. For over two weeks, every night, when it came time for our bedtime song, in the middle of the summer, Davis would choose Jingle Bells. Lo and behold, this became our new routine until Mommy finally said, can we please sing Jesus Loves Me again? It's still his go-to choice, but at least now we're in the right season. Zechariah's song here in the Gospel of Luke is kind of like Davis singing jingle bells in the middle of the summer. Zechariah's song feels a bit out of place because he's singing about a child who isn't even born yet. And what's more, this child isn't even his son. But waiting, anticipation, preparation, that's what this Advent season is all about. And this is the message of Zechariah's song. Advent is a beautiful and holy season of preparation that leads us into Christmas. We find ourselves surrounded by ornate decorations like handmade chrismons that adorn our tree, meticulously quilted pyramids that remind us of the Advent season, numerous poinsettias all around us, all accented by the light of candles. But even in the midst of all this symbolism and beauty, the Advent season can feel like a bit of a challenge because this idea of waiting and also because of the themes that come with it, of hope, peace, joy, and love. You see, we toss around these idyllic terms like they're commonplace, but making them a reality is not an easy task. In a culture where we're surrounded by debates over how to address a pandemic, demoralizing political discourse, and an ever-widening gap between the haves and the have-nots, how are we supposed to embody these Advent themes? More simply put, how are we supposed to find some semblance of peace when everything in our culture feels like it's at war? Our scripture lesson this morning finds Zachariah singing praise to God. As Miss Vicki just shared with us, Zechariah was a priest married to Elizabeth, and she was Mary's cousin. Elizabeth had been barren in her old age, and yet God chose to bless her with a child. An angel came to Zechariah and told him that he was going to have this son, and his son would pave the way for the Messiah. 
This was big news for Zechariah. But he responds with disbelief. And because of that response, he's rendered speechless. For nearly nine months, he watches as the child grows within Elizabeth's womb. He's left to reflect within his heart and mind on the gift of God, giving time for his disbelief to disappear. When we were expecting our first child, Thomas and I had a very methodical way of selecting a name. We surveyed our families for male names and surnames that we might use to name our child. We went through the list and called it to a few of our favorites, and then we began to look at middle names, deciding that we wanted his middle name to have scriptural importance. We found a few that were special for our faith journeys, and so we began to try and put the combination together. And out of those finalists, we landed on Davis Emmanuel. Davis being Thomas's mother's maiden name, and Emmanuel because we wanted our children to always know that God was with them. When we found out that our child number two was also going to be a boy, we decided to use the same formula. Since Davis was Thomas's mother's name, I thought naturally that Wilson, my mother's maiden name, would be a perfect name for our second child. Leave it to Castaway and Dennis the Menace to ruin those hopes. You see, Thomas, every time I brought up Wilson said, I couldn't help but think of a volleyball or an old man. Out the window went Wilson as a name. And so we began to look through that list again, choosing my seventh great-grandfather's name, Gray, and Nathaniel, the disciple listed in John, as our child's name. That rich heritage of a family name is what the community expected for Zechariah and Elizabeth to do. But when they take the child to the temple for his circumcision and naming, Elizabeth surprises everyone, saying that his name is going to be John. Zechariah is still mute, and so the crowd seems in doubt that the couple has had this long, rigorous debate like Thomas and I have had. They are certain that Elizabeth has made a mistake. Don't you want to name him after his father? Or at least someone in your family, maybe your grandfather or an uncle, if Zachariah could talk, I'm sure he would set you straight, Elizabeth. Why don't we ask him anyways? Zachariah confirms exactly what Elizabeth has said, writing, his name is John on the tablet. And immediately his voice returns. This is where our song of scripture picks up today. After nine months of being without a voice, I can think of a lot of things I would want to talk about. Maybe I'd want to catch up on the gossip. Tell Thomas how annoying it is that he's gone behind me and closed every cabinet even when I am still using the things in them. But Zachariah does not take up this marital discourse with Elizabeth. He does not address those people who are gathered around him giving their input. He sings a song of praise to God. Luke actually uses three songs in his gospel to help frame the story of Jesus' birth. First, the song of Mary, 
then the song of Zechariah, and finally the song of Simeon. You see, Zechariah's song is often referred to as the Benedictus, which is the Latin term for the beginning of his song, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. This song has been used as a means of worship for centuries. Zechariah's song of praise at the birth of his son is not celebrating his son John, but rather is a song of praise about what God is doing in the wider world. God's people have been waiting and watching for a Messiah. And Zechariah proclaims that the waiting is over. God's salvation has come. Into a world dominated by a Roman empire of false peace, a song of praise is sung for God's deliverance. What's interesting is that Jesus has not actually been born yet. And still, Zechariah sings because he knows it will come to pass. The one who doubted gets a second chance. Zechariah moves from disbelief to prophecy. He even shows his faith, proclaiming the same message that the angel gave to him, that his son will usher in the way for the Messiah. And the blessing of the Messiah about which Zechariah sings as a message that was certainly needed for him and his fellow Jews who were living under Roman rule. But perhaps in the midst of this Advent season in 2021, this is a message that you and I could use too. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the midst of darkness, light has shined. When it seems there is no way out, a path forward appears, the way of peace. The way of peace is not a reference to the absence of conflict, the way of peace is a reference to God's peace, the calm in the midst of a storm, the choice to lay down our weapons and to show love in the face of opposition, peace. Matthew Bolton, in his SALT podcast on understanding Christmas, told this story. World War I was the debut of machine guns, air warfare, and chemical weapons. Fighting had taken on a new meeting. And in December of 1914, Pope Benedict XV had proposed a temporary truce to celebrate Christmas. But the political and military leaders on either side refused. The soldiers in the trenches, though, had other ideas. On Christmas Eve, it's said that the Germans made the first move by singing Silent Night. And then the English responded back, singing the first Noel. 
Those lyrics pierced through the darkness. Silent night. Holy night. All is calm. All is bright. The weapons of death and destruction were silent. And after a while, some scouts began to venture out into that area that's referred to as the no man's land. They met, shook hands, and wished each other a Merry Christmas. One by one, more crawled out of the trenches and followed suit, joining in the greeting. As morning came, they began to exchange chocolates. Someone found a soccer ball, and a game started up. That silent night, peace came in the middle of war. Peace came by the choice to lay down arms. It came by getting up and moving closer to one another. Peace came when those who had seen each other as enemy realized the other's humanity. This is the way of peace about which Zechariah is singing. This is the peace that Advent seeks to usher in. The question then is what will it take for us to lay down those things to which we hold so tightly? What would it look like for me to move closer? What would it look like for us to move closer to one another in the midst of a time when we've gotten pretty comfortable with the idea of social distancing? What will it take for us to acknowledge the humanity of those with whom we don't agree? I think a good place for us to start is in that sacred space of silence, not forced on us by an angel, thanks be to God, but by choice to take time to listen to God's voice, to remember that God is calling us out of darkness. And then, as we sing songs of praise for the Christmas season, let us remember that even when chaos rages around us, God is present with us, bringing peace to our hearts. This Advent season, may we accept the peace Christ offers and be a part of walking in the way of peace. As we wait with anticipation for God's kingdom to come, let us lay down that which would separate and work to bring God's kingdom a little closer here on earth. To the glory of God. Amen.